What possible use is astronomy? You remember the line from Monty Python's film Life of Brian, what have the Romans ever done for us? And the answer would be roads, drains, gladiators, pasta, Russell Crowe, Romans. Well, what about stargazers? The answers, and there are hundreds of them, are poetry, Star Trek, and then of course Wi-Fi. And now, drum roll, muons. This is The Science Show. Yes, it was John O'Sullivan and the CSIRO team from Epping in Sydney who were looking for little black holes and set up what became the basis for Wi-Fi along the way. Research has no limits. But now we have muons which may, just may, have similar significance. Muons are not croutons made from dairy foods. I'm with Professor Alan Duffy from Swinburne and Big News. The muon is the heavy cousin, if you will, of the electron. They are produced in incredibly energetic collisions, so exploding stars, feeding black holes, raining down particles onto our atmosphere. They produce a zoo of exotic particles in the resulting collision, including muons, which make it to Earth and can be used for very interesting things, as well as just our general inescapable background of all our lives that you probably haven't heard of. Of your wonderful yellow box, which is on the table in front of us, it says M-Detect. Is that possibly muon detector? This is the literal muon detector that was installed at a mine site. This is a rugged design and it is designed to survive being handled by the resource sector who can be quite robust with some physical <laughs> little physical so it is a very solid piece of equipment came out of several years of work at uh, Swinburne particularly by Shanti Krishnan and we spun this out because we believe there's a way to use detectors to capture these muons and use them to take x-ray like scans of large volumes of earth for example in the mining sector so you're looking for leakages, possibly, are you, in the mine sector to see whether the muons are coming in or out and you detect them and you can repair something? Yeah, it's, it's pretty close. So what the origin of the muons is coming in from space or rather from our atmosphere by 15 kilometers high, they travel down and they will punch through potentially hundreds of meters of rock before finally stopping. If you put a detector such as the little yellow box, place this detector underneath the area of interest. The muons will pass through, and if there's a dense structure, they'll get absorbed, so you'll get a shadow. If there is a crack or a large void, you'll have more arrive than you anticipated, and that would be a hotspot. In other words, literally an X-ray, but now using the highest energy particles we've ever recorded, rather than you know, your bog standard X-ray machines. Have you tried it out yet? We have, in fact, uh, just presented the world first deployment of a muon detector at the BHP Prominent Hill site. We use this at their tailing storage facility. The output of the mining process produces a lot of excess waste materials. These are stored in gigantic structures. And we used these muon detectors to scan the wall and check its density, ensuring there's no low density anomalous regions, as it were, that might indicate potential failure points. 
we produced this beautiful 3D map and we presented that to the Osmin Telling Storage Facility Conference. And I have to say, it was a thrill to see something that came out of the most blue sky fundamental of research to actually have been used in the mining sector to try to safeguard these waste storage facilities. It was a wonderful moment. Were the mining people, the rough and ready, as you said, <laughs> mining people not aware of any other means of detecting those leakages, for instance, radiation detectors, so on? So certainly you can use other probes and the challenge with anything to do with radiation detectors, you have to use licenses and there's just the hazards of using that. They prefer to use other techniques, surface scanning. They can even use satellite imagery now to check structural stability of these kilometers across enormous earthworks. But nothing gives you the ability to see quite like a Superman-esque vision, X-ray vision, to see through the structure, as it were, and reveal those areas of weakness. So we really did provide something unique. It got a lot of attention. The fact that there was a live demo in the talk, Ever the Showman, I got to do this and show real-time detections of these muons and remind people that these were coming in cascading from exploding stars, etc., and that that was also shredding their body about a few hundred of which, perhaps a minute at least, that's a salient point in a, in a talk, I think, where everyone can just have a moment's consideration about how wonderful evolution is that our bodies can repair that damage and indeed have evolved to need that kind of radiation. And now we're finding another wonderful use for it. Indeed. Well, Jonathan Davis, uh, the young man who, age 16, was on my program last week, he first encountered me when he was 11 and, and talked about his tremendous interest in positrons. So you've got positrons similarly descending from the heavens and passing through us and we're oblivious of them as well. Um, how many other muons, puons, positrons and such relatives are descending from the heavens upon us? There are, as I said before, a zoo. So peons or pions are another wonderful name. I think that the important thing to recognize is that when all of these particles are created at these incredible high energies, we know that from Einstein, E equals mc squared. So from energy, you can create matter and you can create a, a whole cascade of different kinds of particles. Not all of them will make it down to earth. And in fact, very few do. Muons are one of the exceptions. And, and in part because they travel so fast that their internal clocks are delayed thanks to Einstein's other predictions of special relativity. So from their point of view, well, they're able to make it down because the distance wasn't that great. All of these exotic particles, I think, are a wonderful reminder of how tremendously bizarre, energetically staggering is the universe. And we are quite privileged to have this very nice temperature range, energy range that we get to experience on the surface and muons and the positrons, as well as everything else coming down is a wonderful reminder that we live in an exotic universe. And some of those are suspected, partly by the aforementioned Jonathan Davis and partly by Frank Wilczek, who's a Nobel Prize winner, who talks about axions, but the positrons, possibly the basis for dark matter. In other words, there's something in the universe which is gigantic beyond belief, 85%, as they keep saying, of the universe which we haven't spotted. And there's an experiment in Melbourne, at least one underground, looking at this sort of thing and you're involved. Absolutely. So this is the Sabre dark matter detector. It's led by Professor Elisabetta Barbario of University of Melbourne. It is a dark matter detection experiment designed to find WIMPs, so another wonderful word, weakly interactive massive particles. Imagine something about the mass of, say, a sodium or a lead atom, so weakly interacting weak nuclear force, it essentially passes through the entire Earth without collision. 
perhaps a few times a day. It may hit the atoms of your body, however, and in a snooker ball-like recoil, it will send your nucleus flying, just bang, off it goes. We hope that that is occurring and in our detector at Sabre will cause a flash of light or a scintillation of it, where the crystal will glow, we will spot that glow and cue Nobel Prizes. The challenge is the aforementioned muons. There will be millions of times more muons hitting that detector on the surface than any possible dark matter collision rate. So in other words, we have to do something about the muons so that we're not blinded by them. One solution is to take them a kilometer underground, this 10-ton vessel, precision engineering, a kilometer underground in an active gold mine that provides the shielding, that kilometer of rock will stop the muons, more or less, I'll get to that in a second. And then in a lab space, and I mean this, you drive down an active gold mine tunnel, you've got your hard hat, the engineering teams are taking you down there, it's getting hotter, the humidity's building, it's about 35 degrees by the time you get to this tunnel that just turns around and then suddenly is a blast door and you go through, shower, you go through, there's a clean room in a cathedral, vaulting cathedral-esque internal structure that's been excavated. And there, later this year, will be this 10-ton vessel and that will be the site of Sabre, hopefully, in this ultimate quiet environment, searching for dark matter. And yes, there's also, going back into space, an experiment called Euclid, in other words, a space vehicle, which the European Space Agency is involved in. What is the plan for that, looking for dark matter actually up there as well? Well, this is going back to the first indications we ever had of this outrageous idea. Five times more of the universe than everything we can see put together is out there, fundamentally invisible. It's gravity holding together the galaxies we see. And that was the initial instance of our understanding that dark matter was a real component. We can map it out and we can do that in a couple of ways. And one of the more elegant fashions is to use the gravity of the dark matter to warp the passage of light as it travels through the universe. Across billions of light years, accumulations of dark matter will pull and warp that light's rays path. What that means in practice, as you look at a distant galaxy, it may appear slightly twisted, if you will. Literally, the image is shifted a little bit. That is called weak lensing. This is a, there's a strong version where there's very, very obvious changes to the picture. In the weak lensing case for Euclid, we're looking at millions of galaxies for the slight twists of the images of background objects. And what we hope to see is lots of similar shearing or twistings that will reveal the intervening pattern of the dark matter. You can never know exactly, did the galaxy look like that initially? Was it twisted or was it uh, in fact the passage of the picture, the image of the galaxy as it were, twisted by the intervening dark matter, it's gravity. You can only confirm it's the dark matter in between us all by stacking or combining hundreds to thousands of individual pictures laboriously, you know, the most exquisite statistics that is the mission that Euclid is doing. It is mapping the invisible through the subtlest of twisting of images of galaxies as predicted by Einstein in a way I very much doubt even he could have conceived of the elegance of this probe. Phew. <laughs> My final question, going back to the muons and your technology there in your yellow box, is this the basis of a new industry that Melbourne is going to pioneer? I certainly hope so. We are seeking to put these kinds of devices 
across the resources sector as well as construction sector. Anywhere that you need to scan tens to hundreds of meters worth of material, there's just no other way to see its density otherwise. That's a role for muons. And anything we can do to make the sector safer, as well as perhaps more productive through the identification of critical minerals and the like, that's a role we want to play and we want to make sure we're building those devices here in Melbourne. Congratulations. Sounds great. Good to see you again too. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Robin. Always a pleasure. Professor Alan Duffy is the Pro Vice-Chancellor at Swinburne and CEO and co-founder of MDetect. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.